All right, Roy Jr. Kids, y'all can head on down with Cam, the Camden Shorting. It's going to be exciting down there. Um, y'all pray for Cam. That's a lot of kids. All right, that's good. Um, man, I'm super excited about tonight. You can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Um, this is a delicious passage of Scripture. So I hope you're ready to eat up because there's going to be a lot of Bible and we're just going to make our way through it pretty quickly. Um, when I say that, I mean I'm going to talk fast. Um, last week, uh, uh, Rob gave us uh, through the beginning of, of chapter 6. We're going to finish chapter 6 tonight. But last week, you remember the harsh warning that the, the Scripture gave. But then, the, the, and Rob said, the harsher the warning, the sweeter the promise. This week, we're going to see how our salvation hope is sure. It's secure and it's sure, um, and uh, even more than we ever dreamed or imagined. So um, there's, there's so much to cover here. Um, it would be best for us if we actually went back and read verses 11 and 12 before we get into 13 through 20 so that we understand uh, a better context, and, uh, and we'll see what God's Word says to us. Let's, uh, let's pray uh, before we read 11 and 12. Uh, Father, there are uh, many in the room tonight, uh, Lord, who um, are hopeless. Or there's a, there's a lot of people um, who struggle with uh, uncertainty. Lord, there's, a, there's people who um, are insecure, who have questions, who are, who are doubting. Lord, and, and your word is here to meet us tonight, to speak to us. And we know, Holy Spirit, that you can do that. And I pray that you would apply your word to our hearts. Father, that, that we would truly see you, Jesus, as the anchor of our souls. Lord, that there's nothing we can do to secure ourselves, to make ourselves more stable. That you alone have done the work. And you alone are holding us fast. I pray that we would see this through your word, Lord, and that we would see that um, we have no reason to fear because of what you have done and what you are doing. I pray that you would speak to us now through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Look at verse 11, Hebrews 6. It says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You're gonna hear the word hope a lot tonight, all right? And, and these these two verses, 11 and 12, reminded me of, of Colossians 1, when he, where he says, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. We shouldn't move from, um, to anything else that we should stay stable and fixed and focused on the gospel. We should persevere to the end, that we should cling to our hope to the end. Not be lazy, don't be sluggish, right? Don't be apathetic towards the word, towards the gospel. We should, and then it says we should imitate, right? Who should we imitate? We should imitate people who had faith in God and, and, and wait to inherit God's promises. He goes on in verses 13 and 14 to give us an illustration of someone in the Old Testament who trusted God, someone that we should imitate, um, someone who had faith in God. Let's look at that together. It says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, 
saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. So God wants us to imitate Abraham's faith. Now, Abraham wasn't perfect, right? But he had faith in God, and it says it over and over and over again. God made a covenant with Abraham, and God promised to bless Abraham with land and offspring, and Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God. Abraham had hope in God. And you probably remember Abraham's story um, last year as we walked through Genesis. Uh, he, he was sovereignly chosen, Abraham was. He was sovereignly called out by God to leave his country, to go to a country he had never been to before, that he didn't know. And he was promised from God that, hey, you're going to have descendants and you're going to have land and nations are going to be blessed because of you. And you can imagine there was many reasons for Abraham to not believe for Abraham to doubt that this would actually come to pass. Abraham was old. His wife was old. Sarah. For them, it seemed that it was impossible to have children. So how would this promise come true? But Abraham believed God. And in Hebrews 6, 15 tells us that he waited patiently and he obtained the promise. That word obtained means got it. Like he got it, right? Remember, they waited for 25 years from the promise until the birth of Isaac was 25 years, they got it because Abraham was not dull of hearing but devoted his life to listening and obeying the voice of God. And I found myself asking, like, can we say the same thing? Can we say my life is devoted to listening and obeying the voice of God? When I hear the word of God, when I read the word of God, when I hear it preached, when I, when I hear it taught, Right? When I study it myself, am I listening and am I obeying it? Hebrews 6.13 tells us that God made a promise to Abraham and swore by himself to fulfill it. The quote that he says in Hebrews comes from directly from Genesis 22. After Abraham was willing to listen and obey God by sacrificing his only son Isaac, God intervened and provided. I'm going to read it. Just as a reminder for us, Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. There's the quote. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You know, so uh, when you think like God swearing, that's not like when we hear somebody swearing today, right? So in this passage, it says oaths or swearing about five times. So it's super important. Oaths back then in, in ancient Israel were very different than today, right? It's not like a contractual, like, uh, agreement. This is not like signing your name on a dotted line. This is more like uh, they took their word seriously. This is my personal word that I'm speaking. I'm going to take it seriously. In Hebrews 6.16, it says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all of their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So people, just in general dealings, like we need to give oaths because Naturally, we lie, and we're not very trustworthy. Here, God gives an oath and seals it with his own word by his own name because no one's greater, no one's higher, no one's more important than God, no one has greater authority than God. Even today, right, when people take an oath before they take the stand, 
in court, if they're going to testify or, or witness in court, they place their hand on the Holy Bible and affirm, this has greater authority than, than me and than my word. I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Right? And, and so an oath is only as good as the character of the oath giver. Right? An oath is only as good as the character of the oath giver. God is trustworthy. His track record is perfect. So he always follows through. William Lane says Abraham's experience, even when he could not understand God, demonstrated that God can be trusted. His word of promise is fully reliable. Even when he couldn't understand, even when he couldn't see, he didn't know how it was going to work out, he still trusted him. So Abraham's faith in God and in his word enabled him to be steadfast. And this is a call for us as the church today. Be firm in the faith. Because we're going to face a lot of uncertainties in life. Right? Like walking through life. You ever heard somebody say like, man, pray for me. I need wisdom. Uh, I'm navigating waters I've never been in before. Right? Because like we, we experience a lot of storms in life. And the seas get rough, and, and our ship might hit, hit a rock, and we're navigating waters we've never been through before. There's a lot of uncertainties. We don't see things. We can't see things, right? And so we need to see that God and his word is steadfast and sure, and we will see that. God blessed Abraham by doing something for Abraham that Abraham couldn't do for himself, mainly increase and multiply. Because God alone could bring life from barrenness. See how this all ties together? Paul does a great job of tying it together in Romans 4. He says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He was fully convinced, right, that the, the, the temptation for us is to not believe. The temptation is, is unbelief. We give way to unbelief. We don't see what God is doing. We don't understand how he's going to make it work out. And so we're prone to doubt. We're prone to disbelief. We need to consider our God. We need to consider who's giving the promise. We need to consider his word. And we need to not waver, but have faith in his promises. So are you fully convinced that God has done and will do what he promised? Because Abraham was. By giving us this Old Testament example of faith, God, through the author of Hebrews, is reminding us to look back in order to look forward in hope. We need to look back on what God has already done, what God has already said, and look forward in hope. And we can have hope because of who is speaking. Richard Phillips said, God gave the child of promise through a barren womb to demonstrate that salvation is by grace alone, by God's saving power, and not by the will or ability of man. We are to operate in hope and believe in God. Take him at his word. We're to lean in to his word, lean into him, trust in him, just like Abraham did. Because with God, there's always a 100% guarantee, right? He, he will fulfill his word every single time. There's not a time where he has not come through. And he doesn't have to swear or guarantee 
his promise with an oath. But he does anyway. Why? For our encouragement. Right? Because he knows that we're weak. He knows we need encouragement. Right? Look at verses 17 and 18. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So God's word is sufficient. His word alone, his promises alone is sufficient. He didn't have to guarantee it with an oath, but it says he desired to. That he was passionate about this. That he chose to do this. To, to show us that he's exercising his purpose because God wanted to make especially plain to the people to convince his children of the surety of his word. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, man, that's great. God gave Abraham a promise, but, I mean, he hasn't really spoken to me or, like, given me any specific promises. But look at verse 17. Who are the heirs of the promise? Those who believe in God, those who trust in Jesus. That's you and me, right? Like the, the stars that God pointed Abraham to, that's us. God was thinking about you and me when he was pointing to the stars, and Abraham's looking up at the stars and has no clue. He's talking about those who would believe, those who would trust in Jesus. Remember Hebrews 2, 16, for surely it was not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's us, those who believe God. And many have wondered, what's, what are the two unchangeable things that the author's talking about here in verse 18? He says two unchangeable things. Because it seems from, a, a, if you just read it, a cursory reading, like it's like, oh, well, one of them is it's impossible for God to lie. That's what it looks like, which is true, right? God cannot lie. You can just read Titus 1, the first two verses, and see that. God can't lie. But to disbelieve the Bible is to disbelieve God. His word does not lie. Now, I'm going to take a, a little bit of a rabbit trail here and do some teaching, right? So we believe that there's two big words that the Bible that describes the Bible, okay? Inerrant and infallible. Right? At Red Oak, we believe that these two things are true about the word of God. They're super important. The Bible is infallible, which means it's always right and always true. The Bible also is inerrant which means it never makes a mistake. Now, these are important because we hold these beliefs because we believe in them about God, that God is always right. He's never wrong. God always tells the truth. He doesn't lie. And God never makes a mistake. He never says, oops, or didn't mean to do that. Nope, he always is right. He always tells the truth. He always does what is good. He never makes a mistake. We can completely trust God, therefore we can completely trust his word. For those of you who are thinking to yourselves right now, you didn't answer what are the two unchangeable things. We're going to do it, I promise. Are you ready to write them down? Two unchangeable things. According to the context of the passage, there's two things that are unchangeable. The first is the promise of God. The second is the oath of God. Those two things are unchangeable. Right? Those two things stand. They were told by God. They came to pass. Right? They came true. They're unchanging. Now, if you want to give a broader answer to what are the two unchangeable things that he's talking about, you could say, number one, 
the immutability of God, and number two, the indestructibility of God. Now, those are really big words, but immutability means this. God and his character cannot change. He doesn't shift, right? He's unchangeable. He, he never changes, therefore his word never changes. And him being indestructible means he can't be destroyed. Okay, so Hebrews 7, 16, we'll get there in a few weeks. But it says Jesus has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent, but by the power of what? An indestructible life. He's indestructible. He can't be destroyed. And because he's indestructible, his purposes are unchangeable. So when he gives us this promise... He guarantees it with an oath. You can rest assured that it's going to be done, right? It's a done deal. It's not going to change. Now, if you wanted to sum it all up and make it super easy and simple, you could say God can't lie and God can't die. Those are two simple things, right? Rob this week shared with me this quote, super awesome. I need to share it with you. ESV expository commentary says this, by that oath, God invoked himself since no one is greater, to enforce his own commitment, imposing the death penalty on himself in the event of a breach of promise. In this case, such a breach was impossible. Why? Because God cannot lie and God cannot die. That's really good, right? It's impossible. It's unchangeable because he can't lie and he can't die. And verse 18 says, believers are those who have fled for refuge to this unchangeable and trustworthy God. We are told these things that we might be encouraged. Man, people need encouragement today, don't they? It's good to hear some encouraging words, right? And here, the author wants us, he's spurring us on, right, to have strong encouragement, to be comforted, to find consolation in God, in his word, in his character, ultimately to hold fast to the hope set before us. But what's the hope set before us? Well, it's God himself. It's God himself in Christ. It's God's word that's set before us. Look at our last two verses, verses 19 to 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to get to Melchizedek next week, all right? So we're not going to talk about him tonight. Because the anchor is too important to talk about Melchizedek right now, all right? So verse 19 says, we have this. What do we have? We have this hope. But what is hope? It's something severely lacking in our culture today. I know that, right? A, a couple Thursdays ago, um, I went to go pick up some elementary school kids to take them to the Pinwell building for the after-school program that we do there. Um, and I, uh, I had them come into the building and immediately had them sit down on the couches. Um, and I said, hey, guys, I just want to do a little debrief of the day. I was like, how was your day today? If you could give me um, the worst part of your day and then the best part of your day, what would you say? Right? Well, let's just go around the room. And, and I was like, who wants to tell me the worst part of your day? Everybody's hand went up in the room. So I was like, okay, so we're going to do some highs and lows here. Right? So let's start over here. What was the worst part of your day? First kid. I'm just walking down the hall. I got smacked in the head for no reason. Well, that stinks. That's, that, that would be the worst part of my day too. Second kid says, the worst part of my day was my friend called me stupid. And then some other names that I'm not going to say. 
The next kid says, the worst part of my day, and this is definitely true, was I got punched in the private parts. That would be the worst. But then the kid who punched him said, I hope you don't wake up tomorrow. And then the next kid said, my friend betrayed me today. These are four elementary school kids. And I was like, I was, guys, let's stop. Like, do you hear, like, what's going on? Do you see what's happening? Right? Like, this is, this is so sad. This is heartbreaking. What's crazy is that this is, they were telling, like, physical abuse and emotional abuse, and it's only a snapshot of our culture. And these are elementary school kids. This is a snapshot of a much larger reality. How much do these kids need to be encouraged? Right? How much do these kids need to, need to have hope? Right? They're, they're walking into a school. They don't have any idea what they're going to face that day. They don't know what they're going to hear. They don't know what they're going to see. They don't know what they're going to experience. Right? And, and we've got today, every person in this room, in school or not in school, in work or not working, right? you've got uncertainties. You've got things that you're, you're not sure about. You've got some instabilities in life. Right? You, have, you have crises that you're facing. Right? We see crises of hope everywhere we go. There's a crisis here. There's a crisis there. So back to hope. What is hope? Because if we just defined it simply, we could say it's a feeling. It, it, it's like a, a, a strong um, expectation that something will happen. A strong confidence, if you will, that something is going to happen. Something on the inside. I've just got this feeling that something good is going to happen. I hope it does happen. Right? That's, that's subjective. That's dependent upon you. It's, it's based about personal feelings on the inside. Anybody know what month it is right now? I know it doesn't feel like March. Right? But we're in the middle of March. And for a lot of people who like sports, we know it to be March Madness. That's right. And has it been mad? Yes, everybody's brackets busted, right? I, I really enjoy March, specifically because of March Madness, um, because it's the culmination of the college basketball season, right? And there's a lot of people that have hopes, high hopes. Um, this year, my team didn't even make it into the tournament, so my hopes were dashed. But um, I think that March Madness provides a good example of hope, right? Number one, I hope my team wins, well, if they make it into the tournament. I hope they do well. Number two, um, there's a hope of victory, the hope that it could happen, that we could win. And number three, you're, you're, you're hoping in your team because you can't do anything to help your team win, right? You have no hope in and of yourself. You have to hope in your team. Christian hope is different than that. Christian hope isn't subjective. It's not based upon like how you feel. It's based upon objective facts. Christian hope doesn't originate within ourselves. It comes from outside of us and is founded in Jesus alone. The objective reality of the cross of Christ, the empty tomb, and the hope of heaven. This is hope that is outside of us. Christ is our only hope for salvation and security. We have nothing to do with it, right? Just like in the basketball tournament, 
You've got nothing to do with whether your team wins or loses. I don't care if you dress up, paint your face, right, have a party and scream at the TV. That has nothing to do with whether your team wins or loses, right? And what's crazy, too, is there is expected to be $15 billion bet on just this tournament. $15 billion. People are super excited, and they're hoping. They're gambling their money. They're hoping that their team wins in hopes that they, they win big, that they win more money than they bet, right? But Christian hope is not like that. It's not like a, a sentimental optimism. It's not wishful thinking. It's not thinking like, ooh, I'm going to pray that my team wins because I put a lot of money down. That's not what Christian hope is, right? Christian hope is confident hope of better things to come because we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. What's that? We have this. We have what? The hope of Jesus. As we've already seen in Hebrews, consider Jesus. Consider the cross of Christ. Don't forget Jesus. Don't forget the cross of Christ. Jesus is sure and steadfast. It's way better than a promise. It's way better than an oath. Right? We have the cross of Christ. We have the blood of Christ. That's so much better than a promise or than an oath. Jesus is our hope. Jesus stabilizes our soul. This metaphor that he uses is a nautical metaphor, right? It's a, um, a sailor's metaphor. It's very unusual. If you know anything about anchors, right, anchors, um, they don't go up, they go down. So this, this metaphor is very unusual. He's not talking about an anchor that you drop out of a boat and it goes into water unseen. He, he's talking about an anchor that went up into heaven and hooked itself to the holy of holies, and it's sure, and it's steadfast, and it's not going anywhere, right? Jesus went where we could not go. Jesus went where no high priest had ever gone before. He went to the reality of heaven itself, not the shadow of the tabernacle, right? Our hope entered into the inner place behind the curtain, the holy of holies, not in the tabernacle made by hands, Hebrews 9, 24, for Christ entered not into the holy place made with hands, but which is copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, and he cannot be moved. Richard Phillips said this. This is great. He will never fail, and he never dies. Jesus came to live and die for us, and when he returned to heaven, it also was for our sake, to affix the anchor of our hope, sure and steadfast in the inner sanctum of heaven itself. In the great promises of God, secured in Christ, we therefore have a cable of salvation that nothing can break or destroy so that we can be certain of arriving safe in the harbor of heaven. And praise God for Jesus being our great high priest. Right? Jesus' work on the cross, his indestructible life, that is our hope. Right? His life and his cross is what anchors our soul. It's not what we do. It's not what we've done, right? Our hope will be realized because it's grounded in and founded in an objective reality, the cross of Christ. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise made to Abraham. He's the ultimate fulfillment of the hope that Abraham had. Jesus is the child 
of Abraham. Galatians 3.16, when the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, it doesn't say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, to your offspring, who is Christ. Jesus is the promised seed of the woman. He's the promise kept by God. And all believers, all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus are sons of Abraham. In Galatians 3, 7 through 9, it says, Now then, it is to those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith belong to Abraham, the man of faith. In verse 29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So those who have faith in God, those who trust in Jesus, are heirs of the promise that God gave to Abraham. So what is your life secured to? Or another question is, what's, what in your life is sure? What in your life is as steadfast and as sure and as stable as Jesus, as the cross of Christ? We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Christian hope is this image right here. It's this image that we can't and should not get out of our minds. It's the cross of Christ anchored in the holy of holies. And on the other side, we have these nail-scarred hands of Jesus that keep you and me tethered to him. This blew my mind when I was thinking about it this week. Right, and I was doing a lot of research, and I was trying to find, I was looking at pictures, right, and I found this artist, and I, me and Ali have seen this artist before, um, interesting uh, name of his artwork, it's called Full of Eyes, if you've ever heard of him before, um, I'll put a link in for the resources for this week, but I've got a picture to show you up on the screen, I hope it works, look at this picture, right, this is incredible artwork, he calls it exegetical art, so he read Hebrews 6, 19 through 20, and then he drew this. Do you see Jesus on the cross? Do you see that it's not just a cross, but it's an anchor with hooks, right? And what's coming out of Jesus' side is the blood that he shed on the cross. So what tethers you and me to the anchor? Because you see the blood coming down, to the person who's on the boat in the stormy seas, right? What tethers us to the anchor is the blood of Christ. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat before, right? Big boats have big anchors with big chains. Little boats have little anchors with little flimsy rope, right? This is not some flimsy rope that tethers us to the anchor, Right? It's not going to come off. This is a solid, sure, and sovereign cable that secures you to the anchor. We're, we are told to hold fast to the hope set before us, and we need to understand that God empowers us and enables us to hold fast because his nail-scarred hands hold us. Even when we're tempted to let go, his hands hold us firm and secure. You can't lose your salvation, Christian, because his nail-scarred hands won't let you. He's got you secure. So what are you hoping in? Where's your hope? What's your soul tethered to? 
Is it financial security? As we've seen this week, that, that can go haywire pretty quickly if you've been reading anything about banks. Is it academic success? What's your hope in? Are you hoping that somebody else will overcome their addiction? Are you hoping in toilet paper? Do you all remember that season in life when people lost their minds and, and ran out to go grab toilet paper? Find some, some, some security in that. Are you hoping in that you have enough supplies? Are you hoping in that you, your health will stay good? Are you hoping in a pain-free life? What are you hoping in? Ladies, are, are you trying to find your security and hope in a husband or a husband-to-be? Because he'll fail you. Even the best ones do. Don't find your hope in a man. Right? Put your hope and trust in Jesus. And men, are, are you hoping in something that you can do or maybe something you've done? We're terrible saviors. We need to put our hope and trust in Jesus. I love the song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. I dare not trust in anything or anyone else but in Jesus, in Christ alone. For the word of God, it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Every single one of them. He's our anchor, firm, immovable, stable, secure, sure. I love Pastor Alistair Begg. He said this, and I can't do it with the, his great British accent. I'm not going to try. God has brought us from the realm of hopelessness into the reality of hope. And the anchor of our souls is secure and certain. It is fixed to an immovable object, the promises of God, and fixed in the unseen heavenly realm by the God who cannot lie. So that anchor is secure in the Holy of Holies, behind the curtain that we can't see, but in this world that we do see, all of the insecurities, all of the instability, we can have hope still. Because it's sure, it's steadfast. In that last verse, it says that Jesus has gone on as a forerunner. I knew I chose the right car in college. My kids got really excited. We were reading this this morning, and I said, Jesus is our forerunner, and they were like, you've got one of those. I was like, yeah, it's a great car. But that's not what it's talking about. Jesus is not a car. Jesus is our forerunner. And it's not talking about him going before us and he set the pace for us. No, like the word, this is amazing. I did not know this. Never heard of it before in my life. The word used in this passage is not used anywhere else in the scriptures. It's only used in this verse. And it's the Greek word, I don't, I'm not going to say it right. You can ask Zach later. Protomos. Okay, and it's another nautical term. So he's already used anchor as a metaphor. Now he uses protomos. This is the only time that it's used, and the people who are hearing this for the very first time would have picked up immediately on its meaning. And if you have any nautical terminology about you, then you would understand and really appreciate this a lot more. But I'm not going to try to explain it. 
I wouldn't do it justice. I'm going to let Lewis Talbot do it. I'm going to quote this as we close. The Greek harbors were often cut off from the sea by sandbars over which larger ships dared not pass till the full tide came in. Therefore, a lighter vessel, a forerunner, took the anchor and dropped it in the harbor. From that moment, the ship was safe from the storm, although it had to wait for the tide before it could enter the harbor. The entrance of the small vessel into the harbor, the forerunner carrying the ship's anchor, was the pledge that the ship would safely enter the harbor when the tide was full. Because Christ, our forerunner, has entered heaven itself, having torn asunder everything that separates the redeemed sinner from the very presence of God, he himself is the pledge that we too shall one day enter the harbor of our souls in the very presence of God in the new Jerusalem. Man, that's really good. Right? I don't know about you, but I don't think there would be anyone who would disagree with this humbling fact that we need hope. We need hope. Every person needs hope. Every person needs a forerunner. Every person needs an anchor, right? To my brothers and sisters in Christ tonight, let's trust God and his word. Let's endure to the end. Hold on to Jesus. Keep the cross ever before you. Continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And if you're here tonight and you know you're not a follower of Christ, you are hopeless But the good news is, when you run to Jesus as your salvation, then it's sure and it's secure. You can't get any more sure and secure than Jesus. There's nothing in life or in death that is more sure than Jesus. Nothing's more stable. Nothing's more steadfast than Jesus. Because everything in life changes. But God. God's character doesn't change. His purposes don't change. They're unchangeable. And this is where we should find our hope. So what's your hope in? Is it hope? Are you hoping in things that change? Are you hoping in things that shift? Or are you hoping in God? Is Jesus the anchor of your soul? Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you that you've given us your word and that it doesn't change, that it's solid, that it's sure, that it's steady, that it's steadfast. We praise you for Jesus. He not only lived the perfect life we could not live, but you died the death we deserve to die. And because of that sacrifice, we can have a relationship with you, God. We don't have to be your enemies anymore. Your wrath can be done away with because of the sacrifice of Christ. And we could be justified and sanctified and glorified because of the resurrection of Jesus. This anchor who not only went down, but also went up and is seated right now at at your right hand 
and who is our sure and steady anchor for our souls. I pray that we would trust you in your word. Oh God, we have no reason to doubt you. You are faithful, you are trustworthy, you are true, and you are sure. I pray that you would remind us of these things, that we would take your word seriously, that we would listen and obey. Lord, and that you would advance your church, even tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.